Set our minds, attention, and hearts affection on the Lord as we hear today's text. Exodus chapter 2 records the birth of Moses. It says this, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and she bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dabbed it with bitumen and pitch. Um, She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. And she took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and she called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I'll give you your wages. So the woman took the child and she nursed him. And when the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. And then one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked upon their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And he looked this way and then he looked that way. And seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? And he answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid. And he thought, Surely this thing is known. And it was known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs uh, to water with their flocks with. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up, and he saved them, and he watered their flock. And when they came home uh, to their father, Reuel, he said, How is it that you've come home so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may come and eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah, and she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. In verse 23. And during those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue came from slavery, came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. The Word of God for the people of God. Let's pray, and then let's dive into this incredible text. Well, Jesus... We've been able to worship you already in so many ways. Um, Through shaking hands, through drinking coffee, through sharing one another's stories, through hugs and high fives, and um, Lord, then through 
song and then through baptism and <clears throat> watching a father be able to baptize his own son and then entering into the covenant moment with this beautiful young lady that you have given Ethan and Campbell and thinking about how, God, you can take children and change the world. And, and then we get to this moment where we're able to pray and then we watch our kids go up to the top to be ministered to and kids in the back to be ministered. It's just, Lord, you're doing so much on these four acres of land in Northport. More than we could ever dream or imagine. And if you would, Lord, if you'd be gracious, just in these next few moments now, as we turn to the text, if you would, just make it pop off the page. Make it change our hearts in the same way that all these other things have. If but for an hour today, Lord, we would just contemplate you, how much more rich our lives would be. So, Lord, awaken us unto you, Spirit. Move in our midst, move in our hearts. Um, and I just want to thank you for people to gather and, and to hang out with and to celebrate Jesus with. So, Lord Jesus, be exalted in our midst, uh, be glorified. Again, awaken our hearts, make the text come off the page, speak beyond the voice of a mortal man. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. Well, church, last week we began our journey through Exodus. And we've already finished our journey through Genesis, so now as we dive into Exodus, we saw some things at the very beginning of the text. We saw a new generation that wasn't the generation in Genesis. Um, This new generation of Israelites now are exposed to a brand new king and a brand new pharaoh. If you remember from last week, we saw that even though everything was new, there was the same old suffering. They still experienced suffering and We learned, I think from last week, a God who exists, who uses even our suffering greatly in our lives. And so I pray that that was encouraging to you. Um, If you didn't listen to that, go back to the website. Check that out. See how God uses suffering even in our lives for our good. So this week, this week we've got a brand new leader. And this brand new leader is going to emerge. We could even call him a prophet because he is a prophet. That being Moses. And... Apart from Christ, I would argue with you up and down every day that Moses is the single greatest leader in all of the Bible, again, apart from Christ. The the dude is magnificent. Um, And I, I think as we go through Exodus, you'll see that more and more and more. You'll become elated with Moses. You'll identify with Moses. You'll be astounded with Moses. I mean, we'll get blown away by all the things that happens in God's lives. But here's the question. The question would be this. Last week, in suffering, we learned that God does indeed take our suffering and He uses it and He morphs it for great things. But just because God takes suffering and uses it for great things, the question still remains, okay, that's fine, but is He good? Like, is He good? Is He still good to me? Sure, He can take bad things and use them for His purposes, but in doing so... Is he good? And that's the question we're going to expose today or look at. I'm going to ask you a question to kick off our time together. And the question is simply this. Do you genuinely trust God enough to fully place all of your life in his hands? Do you trust him fully and and genuinely in a way in which you can truly put your life in all of his hands? That sounds like an easy question at first, doesn't it? It's a question that we all, if you're here in this room, you probably go, well, of course, absolutely. 
right? Because it's Jesus the answer. And, you know, we all were exposed to VBSs and we want to get the gold star and the lollipop. So we would never say no, right? So our first instinct is go, well, of course I can. But let's kind of flesh that out just a little bit. What do I mean by genuinely trust? And maybe that will help us identify. Trust has been defined as this. You can trust God as just by simply letting go and finish it for me. And letting God. Let go and let God. Well, I'm going to be honest with you, okay? I don't have any idea what that means. (laughs) Like, what on earth does that even mean? And we've identified trust as something along the lines of a trust fall. Now, I've just given some of you guys heart attacks because you remember back to uh, training sessions or youth groups or whatever where you did the trust falls. You guys, you guys did this, right? The trust falls, you know, where you would start out and you just kind of lean back in somebody's hands and, do you trust me? Yeah. And they'd fall a little bit deeper, boom. And then all of a sudden somebody would go, I'm going to hop up on the bus. And I'm like, I don't trust you that much. I'm not going to fall off a bus and trust you to catch me. But a lot of times we'll think of trust Something like that, just kind of let go, let God, I'll just, I'll just kind of do nothing. And Well, here's my problem with that. It's a tad bit nonsensical. Because nowhere in Scripture does it say that we just kind of loosely just do nothing and just kind of fall back. Just take our brains, take them out, sit them on the ground and just lay back and just let whatever happen may be. Nobody lives that way. Nobody does. And so I think that's a little bit, again, uh, as a nonsensical view of what I mean by trust God. Because it removes us. God is sovereign, and we still have very real responsibility to do real things and have real actions. So we are somehow involved even in trusting God. Does that make sense? So here's what I mean by trusting God. What I mean by do you genuinely trust God, what I mean is... Do you genuinely ask God at every moment, at every turn, God, what do you want me to do, and I will do it? Now, that's totally different than just let the chips fall where they may. It's action. Do you live in such a way that you trust enough to wake up and go, okay, God, what do you want me to say to that guy at the gas pump right across from me at the Sprint Mart? That's a little bit different trust, right? Okay, God, here's my paycheck. What do you want me to do with it? God, we've got this amount of time cut aside to serve you. How do you want me to serve you in missional efforts this year? Lord, do you want me to not go to Jamaica and go to Nepal? (laughs) Right? Now it's getting a little bit trickier. That's the question I'm asking. There's this level of depth and trust that goes deeper. And so my question again is, do you trust God genuinely enough that in all things you could say, what do you want me to do? And if you obey exactly what he says, it's ultimately for your good, like a good outcome. That's the question we're getting at today. It's a little bit harder than just lobbing the words, Lord, I trust you up into the air, isn't it? There's more action to it. And, and, and this is what's going to be exposed for the text today. As pastor of Safe Haven Church, or as one of the pastors of Safe Haven Church, I get to do a lot of wonderful things throughout the week. 
I really get to do a lot of cool things. And this is the same for Tyler. This is the same for Beth. This is the same for all people who get to, to minister at Safe Haven Church. Um, we, ha- we get to be a part of weekly um, the planning of events like fireworks and fish. I mean, how awesome is that? Um, we have parenting conference coming up. Um, we've got Festivus today. Unashamed plug that you need to be there, be a part of that. It's going to be awesome. Tyler's giving away a Ferrari to the winner. Um, so it's, <laughs> yeah, so it's a little bitty. It's about this big. Uh, but you need to be a part of that. If you've ever wondered, how do I plug in at Save Haven? This is how you plug in. Come, hang out, let's play together. A church that plays together stays together or something crazy like that. I, we're going to get together. Let's, let's be a part of it. We get to do that. Okay, we get to be a part of the Bible every single day, of studying it, of chewing through it, of manuscripting it, of writing a 10-page paper and then trying to say that in 30-ish minutes. Um, we get to do that. That's an awesome thing. We get to be involved. We get to be involved in schools and social media and websites and planning and data and communicating and DHR. And we get to do all of these different things. We get to officiate. <laughs> We've been a part recently of, of several funerals, but also several weddings and then babies. And we, we get to be a part of all of these things, visitors and deacons and elders and all this stuff that goes on behind the scenes that nobody knows about. We get to be a part of all that. But the coolest thing we get to do is we get to share life. We get to share life and be face-to-face on the front line with people who are asking, can I really trust God in this specific moment? We get to share coffee every single week where people are asking the question, God, can I really trust, uh, Troy, can I really trust God in my family decision that I've got to make? Can I really trust God in this life decision, in this mental health decision, in this um, financial decision, in this work decision, in this spiritual decision? can, Can I really trust God? It's really cool, man. We get to be on the front lines of helping people see that God can pull off the impossible in your life. And if you trust Him, it will ultimately be for your good. It's the coolest thing we get to experience. And this is what the text dives into today. I guess all that to say, the Bible can be summarized in a, as a whole as this. God enters into real people's messes. From Genesis to Revelation, that could be the continued theme. God will enter into your mess and ultimately for your good and His glory. And I hope you see that in this this text today. All right. So today, if nothing else, get these things. You can trust God even when you don't see Him physically or presently. You can trust Him. I hope you also see that you can trust God even if you don't see the final product until you are laid in a dirt pit and raised unto new life. You can still trust Him. You can trust God even when He's telling you to do something that is completely out of your comfort zone. You can trust Him. You can trust God even if your circumstances are as bizarre as Moses. Dun, 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 dun. So let's zoom in. 
Let's zoom into the text just for a few minutes and see God's hand all over the life of Moses. Why Moses could trust him and ultimately be encouraged as to why we can trust him through the story or the historical narrative of the life of Moses. It's God's hand all over his life, or maybe we could even say it this way. It's ultimately Moses inside God's hands is what I want to examine through that text. What does it look like to live inside the hands of God? All right, y'all ready? Here we go. Let's dive into this text. It's a cool thing we get to do at Safe Haven to go verse by verse through the text. We've read it in just a second, but let's just kind of look at these pieces together. Verse 1 and 2, we saw that Moses was born into a family that was pursuing the Lord, even though Israel was an absolute proverbial dumpster fire. It didn't even make sense for a lot of people in this time to be trusting the Lord because just chaos was abounding, yet Moses could have been born into any other family, but he's born into this specific Levite family who is indeed pursuing the Lord. Of all the families on earth. Hebrews chapter 11 is fascinating in the famous hall of faith of people in the, uh, the, the Bible, but also just history, who have had enormous, extraordinary faith. And what you'll find in Hebrews chapter 11, astonishingly, is that Moses is not first recognized when it comes to Moses, but his mother and his father is. Now, most of us in this room don't even know their names. We couldn't even tell you that... He ultimately even had a mother and father unless we just kind of thought about it because we instantly jumped straight to Moses. But what we find is the family had this extraordinary faith that's so much so that they're recognized in the text. They do have names. Their names are Amron and Jochebed. You can find that in Exodus chapter 6. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. But here's what I want you to see in this. God put him with exactly who he needed to be with. Exactly. And, church... That's the same for you. You're put with exactly who you need to be with. Now, for some of y'all, that's a tough statement because you've had really hard lives. And you've had really, really hard struggles. And then for some of you, it's joyous. And you're like, well, of course. And, and we celebrate Ethan and Campbell and, and Charlotte. And we go, yeah, that's really cool. All this kind of... so, so for some of you, when I say you're with exactly who you need to be with, you go, oh, that's really hard because my dad was a piece of, you know what, my mom was absent, my, my, my ex-spouse was this, and you're, and you're juggling in your minds and you're going, but I didn't like that person. Well, that's not the question of whether you trust God or not. The question in trusting God is not whether you like that person. The question is, did you learn from that relationship? Because if you learned, then God ultimately did do exactly what He was trying to accomplish. We can trust Him. Even in relationships, as we see this, that God put Moses with exactly who He needed to be with... And you can rest assured that He's teaching you through every relationship you have as well. For your good. And ultimately His glory, if we trust Him. Verse 3, we're going to see this. That then, after He's uh, given to this family in the midst of this chaos, He's placed in a river where babies were being aborted left and right by Pharaoh. That was the edict that we just remembered. All Egyptian sons have to be tossed in the river and drowned to pull off this national infanticide, okay? And he is placed into the very river, catch this, that will give him life that was supposed to bring him death. Now in this moment, 
if he was kept in a house, catch it, if he... if. If Jochebed and Amron would have said, oh, we don't want to put him in that river, we want to keep him in the house, here's exactly what would have happened. They would have kept him in the house, he would have grown up, he would have begun to scream and be loud, or he would have toddler, toddler, toddlered? Is, is toddler a verb? Can you make toddler a verb? We just made it a verb. He toddlered, toddled. Now I'm stuck, Julia. Get me out of this rut, okay? <clears throat> he goes outside the house, whatever. And in that moment, if he would have been raised in the house, if that would have been the wisdom that they had, then what would happen is Pharaoh's servants would have snatched him up. There was nothing they could have done about it. They would have grabbed him and they would have chunked him, boom, straight into the river to drown exactly as Pharaoh promised or exactly as Pharaoh said they had to be pulled off, if that's what would have happened. However, what they did was quite the opposite. If they built a little baby ark, if you will, if he built a little baby ark placed him in the river or the Nile strategically, then perhaps, just perhaps, God would pull off the impossible. Perhaps God would show up if they trusted him in this way. All this to say this, God gave Moses' parents wisdom beyond themselves before Moses could do anything other than just spit up his milk. God was all over this moment. He could be trusted. We move on to verse 4 and 6. Verse 4 and 6. Verse 4 through 6. It just so happened, it just so happened that Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe in this exact spot. Can you trust your life in the hands of God? Founds this baby in the reeds. Now, there's two things about this. First, there is a hydrological anomaly that's occurring right here in the text. Okay? There's a little bitty basket that's placed into. 79.2 billion gallons of water moving at 5 miles per hour, yet this little basket just kind of hovers right there in the reeds. (laughs) Come on, man! I can't even keep a boat under control with a trolling motor in Lake Lurleen. And that bad boy is stagnant. Okay? This is the largest river in the world that moves from south to north that is pouring out 79.2 gallons of water every day into the Mediterranean Sea at five miles an hour. And this little boat just kind of hovers in the reeds. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. God's all over this. So God protected this ark to sit right where this specific young lady would come to bathe. You can trust the Lord. But number two, there's a familial anomaly occurring in this moment. What I mean by this is, the one threat that Pharaoh did not consider to him was one of his many daughters. He had tons of daughters, lots of daughters. But there was one specific one, and this one specific one is who happened upon this basket. Now, why do I say this is a familial anomaly? Here's why. Because God softened the heart of this young lady not to be an absolute psychopath like her father. Changed her. So much so that not only does her curiosity turn into compassion, not a coincidence. Not only is that true, but in this moment, she's willingly disobeying her father's national orders that would have her killed at the risk of everything she knew to be true in life. All her goods, all her splendor, all her... Everything she had, she was willing to give up in this moment 
only God could change a heart like that. You can trust God. Text goes on, verses 7 through 9. Moses' teenage sister. Miriam, now we know her name is going to be Miriam. We come along this a little bit later. Moses' teenage daughter, Miriam, is instructed to watch the outcome of the basket. Because let's just be honest. What mother that is sane could sit there, place the basket, and not have a panic attack and fall out as they watch the fate of this child that they've just birthed and and raised go down a river? And so she's just going, Miriam, you've got to go watch. You go watch. It makes perfect sense. So in this moment, even this, can you imagine the pounding heart of this teenage girl? Can you imagine the pounding heart as she's sitting there watching this basket among the reeds and then all of a sudden a tribe of nobility who is commanded that all babies be executed starts approaching this basket. Can you imagine the fear that she had to have had? I mean, she's a teenage girl. Right? But can you also imagine the elation that she saw when Pharaoh's daughter cracks open, sees the baby, and then has pity on it and goes, Uchi goo. Like that's in the Hebrew. It says that the, she went, Uchi goo. Uchi goo. Can you imagine that? All of this kind of stuff. And in this moment, God gives Miriam the perfect words for the need of the moment. As a teenager, here's what she says. Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? That's the Lord, people. That's the Lord. Let's rewind and then we'll dive into it. Okay. I really struggle in the moment where like, it's spontaneous conversations. Some of y'all are excellent at it and I love it. Like you're so quick-witted and all this kind of stuff. <clears throat> My... Most fearful moment, or, or one of the, the most um, painful moments that I remember, is one time I got on an airplane, and I was flying from Dallas back to Birmingham, and we had to bypass through Atlanta. Well, Dan Reeves, I don't know if some of you guys remember Dan Reeves, the head football coach. Dan Reeves was sitting right there in the first class, okay? I, obviously, not sitting in the first class, was headed straight back to the back of the cabin. But as I walk in, I see the man, and it's Dan Reeves, and I just pause. I was like, this is my moment. Like, this is my moment to shine right here. I don't know if I was trying to get like a coaching position or maybe just to cut the man's grass or something like this. <clears throat> and I sat there and I thought, and all I could come up with was this, I swear to you. I go, you did good. <laughs> you did good. And he just kind of looked at me like, you're a psychopath. All I could come up with was you did good. And he looked at me and he looked down and I just bowed my head and just kind of walked off. But in this moment, even the words that come out of Miriam's mouth, oh, you like this baby. Can I get a Hebrew woman to come nurse it for you? That's nuts. That is a nutty statement. Number one, because the answer from a diplomatic standpoint is no. My dad said I've got to kill it. But if God is involved, watch the beauty of this moment. The beauty is she goes, yes. And now Moses' life is placed back into the hands of his very own who? Mother. It's the Lord. It's the Lord, church. You can trust Him. 
And in a comical twist, God even arranges for Moses' mother to raise him and get paid to do it. Right? How many of the women in here will give me a big amen of you're still waiting on your paycheck? Right? The lactation paycheck coming to the mail. Right? I remember, here we go, off track for sure. I remember Julie Beth during those uh, breastfeeding moments on the, heading to work and then she cranks up that machine to get the milk and I was just like, oh my. <laughs> right? She, she wants her paycheck. And a lot of you guys want your paycheck too. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. The one woman who wanted the best for Moses got paid to give him the best because of God. You can trust him. Verse 10. Moses is then raised by his own mom, and she took him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who does name him Moses. And in this, we see that God completed stage one of drawing him out. Drawing him out. That's literally what his name means. That's what the book of Exodus is all about. It's all about the Lord who draws out. And he's going to draw Israel out of slavery into redemption. It's the whole Bible, the drawing out, how God draws out hearts unto Himself. And this ultimately, church, is definitely the gospel. I mean, because Moses is a savior of sorts. He saves the Israel people from, from an Egyptian Pharaoh who's pressing on them. But he's not the savior. He's not the savior. Because that savior would be born in Bethlehem in a cave who would free us not from an Egyptian who's trying to press and force slavery upon us, but he's freeing us from the sin that so encapsulates us and holds us down and he sets us free. It's the gospel even back in Exodus in Moses' life. God then orchestrates an adoption. An adoption so that Moses would be raised by Egyptian nobility. Now, this definitely defies all odds. This is very important. Here's why I say this. Because the training that he would receive is unparalleled to even that with which Egyptian boys would receive as a part of nobility. Even the Egyptian riffraff didn't get the education that Moses was going to get. Catch that, church. A baby who was supposed to be tossed in for crocodile Nile... Nile crocodiles, whatever, to consume, was now a part of the Egyptian noble training cohort. That's quite a change of events. In this training, the food that he would eat would be the best in the land, ensuring by God's decree that he would be strong and he would be fit, unlike most people in the country. The education he received would be languages, multiple languages, geometry, astronomy, architecture, medicine, music, law. I love the way that Philip Ryken puts it. He was trained to overthrow Pharaoh right up under Pharaoh's nose. That's the Lord. You see, because as he let him out, no goat herder would have all those things in their arsenal. But God. He had a family connection. And for those of you who know the rest of the story, this ensured his family connection would ensure that he had privileges to walk straight up into the palace, right into the throne room, right before who? Pharaoh. All of it is God. All of it. How incredible this is. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, hang on, that's coming in a couple of weeks. Tyler's going to knock that section right out of the park. 
All that to say this, God always places lights in dark places perfectly as he chooses. How does that apply to you? Do you fully trust that God has placed you in your workplace on purpose? Do you fully trust that God has placed you in your family on purpose? Do you fully trust that God has placed you at the ballpark on purpose? Do you fully trust that God has placed you at Festivus this afternoon, which you're all coming to, on purpose? Do you fully trust on purpose God is doing specifically things for His glory and ultimately for your good? Do you trust that? You can trust that, church. Let's keep going. Verse 11. We've got to wrap it up. Verse 11. Forty years passes. Moses decides to step away from royalty. Surely in that moment, God would no longer um, use him. It's kind of like Prince Harry walking away. <laughs> he's like, I've got all these things, but I don't want them. And in this moment, he's going, there's got to be more. Life doesn't terminate with just me being fat and happy. And in Egyptian garb, which we know he looked like an Egyptian because later on, they recognize him as an Egyptian, Right? But in this moment, Moses goes and he looks at the burdens of his own nation. you remember that? And in that moment, God gives Moses a heart that strangely pulsed for others and not for himself. That's God. This may be the most profound thing I say all day. If you are in this room and you have a heart that pulses for the Lord... You didn't put that there. The Lord did. And if you can trust Him with your heart that pulses for Him, you can trust Him with your bank account tomorrow. Why would you trust Him for your eternity and not trust Him for Tuesday at 11.30? You can trust Him. And we see this in this text. Moves on to verse 12 through 15. He's going to learn a lesson on running ahead of the Lord by sight and not waiting on the Lord in faith. Instead of living by faith and not by sight, he's living by sight and not by faith. And this is going to be a lesson, but even in that, you can trust God to take your lessons that you're learning and use them for your good. God lets Moses fail so he can learn a valuable lesson. And in this moment, he sees a Hebrew being beat, so he takes it upon himself by the might of his own hand to to not... Stop the action, but to kill the Egyptian, right? So he takes it a whole other level. That's just how strong I am. And in this moment, we see two things that God always teaches us in our failures. Two things. First is this. When we make moves without God or seeking His direction, we will always make a mess. We will always make a mess. His own people are scared. Pharaoh is ticked. He wants to kill him, and so he uses the sword in his hand and his muscular ability to swing that sword. And what God's going to teach him through this lesson is this. A couple of weeks, put your sword down, pick up this stick, and I'm going to lead the nation of Israel not with your sword, but with this stick out of slavery. Because only I can pull off the power in this stick. It's a cool thing we're about to see through the text. But he's learning this, all this to say, God can take your mess, church, and make it miraculously beautiful. And he does so by landing him as a homeless person in Midian. How many of you would go, hey, landing homeless tomorrow would be a good thing? Anybody? 
Anybody want to go there? It's a good thing in Moses' life. He lands homeless in Midian, verses 16 through 22. He goes and he sits by a well. We read that. Priest's daughters come up to fill some jugs. Some shepherds come and try to run those priest's daughters off. Moses takes on the whole gang up in this moment. And in this moment, God uses this selfless act as a homeless person who's warding off a gang to give him a wife and ultimately give him a child. Who other but the Lord takes chaos and turns it into shining crystals? It's the Lord. You can trust Him, church. In all these things, we could say this. We could say that the Bible is letting, in this moment, Moses hit rock bottom. Y'all probably heard that, right? You got to hit rock bottom before you find your way up. I guess we could interpret what's going on in the text as that way. That God is letting Moses hit rock bottom, but I don't really think that's what the text is saying. I think what the text is saying is God is making Moses rock solid through everything. It's for his good, and it's for your good. It's no different for you. His hands are all over your life, church. All over your life. The question is, are you recognizing it as Him moving in your heart? That's the question. Will you thank the Lord today? Will you worship Him today? And some of you guys in like celebratory seasons, you're like, of course I'll worship Him. Yeah. That's... Will you worship Him in your pain? Every rose has its thorns. Will you be thankful for those thorns and see them ultimately as God moving in your heart for your good? You can trust Him. Will you engage with Him? Do you feel like your life, do you feel like your life is randomly floating in a basket down the river? Like anybody feel like that? You can trust Him if that's what you feel like your life is. We learned this from Moses. Well, church, lastly, why does God do things the way He does things? Well, that is the last section, verses 23 through 25. Verses 1 through 22, I think, showed us the training reasons that God does things the way He does was to teach us to trust Him and obey Him. Training, teaching, and trusting. But these last verses show us the emotional reason that God does things the way He does them. And perhaps this is the most profound and astonishing. Did you see what the text said? He did all of these things and led the people out of Egypt because He heard their cry. You ever feel like God doesn't feel you? He does. He does. You can trust that He feels with you. Justice would be that they complain and he goes, suck it up, buttercup, and move on down the road. Grace is he goes, I hear you and I feel with you. Not only did it say he heard their cry, but it said he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Notice that Joseph is oddly left out. We'll get to that, I don't know, sometime in March. 
But our God does fight for us in covenant moments. If you are his covenant child, he fights for you. Not only he hear their cry, not only he remember the covenant, but he saw the people is what the text says. Our God watches you. That's reason to trust him. And now I want to sing the song, His Eye is on the Sparrow. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. It's so much more than just a song, church. He does. And then finally, the text today ended with, he heard their cry, he remembered, and he saw the people. And finally, it just says this, he knew, period. Well, he knew what? He knew what? And that's where we get tripped up. God, do you know what I'm going through? And he just says, I know. He knew. What did he know? Well, he knew the right workers, he knew the right plan, and he knew the right timing, and he would pull it off ultimately again for his glory and all of their good. You can trust God. Band, come on back up. What a text. Moses is now gone from a basket to a royal court. And now the brother is herding sheep, right? It's a lesson that God is going to take, like Mr. Miyagi. And right now he's going, hey Moses, you're herding a few hundred sheep, but I'm going to use this because you're going to have to lead about 50,000 people out of the desert. I'm going to use this in your life. God will take the doom that Pharaoh ensued and use it to ultimately doom Pharaoh. It's so crazy. God's going to take his people from slavery to redemption, back to the promised land because he's faithful. So church, you can trust your life to God's hands in the same way that Moses' mom trusted God when she took her baby boy, stuck him in a little basket, and placed him in a river. You can trust that God. Because all she did ultimately was do this, right? Lord Jesus, God, I need you to come to my rescue. Are you willing to go there in every question of life? Let's pray together. I wonder, as the band begins to play, if you'd be willing to just ask God right now by yourself, okay, God, I can trust you. Test him. And ask him, all right, God, what's next? Not, I'm just going to let go and let God. Get that horrible theology out of your brain. But to ask, God, what do you want me to do next? Right now. Tomorrow. All week. And then do it. Would you do that? Some of you, it's going to be work-related. 
some of you it's going to be family related. For some of you it's going to be forgiveness and emotional related. For some of you it's going to be missional effort or a ministerial calling. Good grief for some of you it's going to be baptism. Like Carpenter modeled for us this morning. For some of you it's going to be salvation. Are you willing to trust Him with your eternity through the finished work of the Savior? For some of you, it's going to be letting go of the bitterness you have against God because things didn't go your way. Are you willing to say, Lord, come to my rescue and grow me in all things and let me see that you are ultimately for your glory, but I can trust you for my good. Lord Jesus, move mightily now.